beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Hello. Sounds good. All right. You good to go? Yep. It's funny. We're talking on um, Batman Day and, uh, of course, Gardner Fox. His contributions tend to get a little bit overlooked on Batman Day. They do. And, I I mean, it's understandable. There's been so much restorative work to get Bill Finger's name out there mm-hmm. that it's hard to share that credit. But Gardner Fox contributed hugely to what we think of when we think of Batman. I mean, he's the one who gave Batman his gadgets. Mm-hmm. The utility belt. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The battering, sweeping pellets, suction cut, like the bat gyro, like the, that was that was fun. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy legacy. All right, uh, let's get into all the fun stuff then. So, yo, welcome my summer layer. My name is Sammy Yunan, and I'm super excited today to have with me a uh, writer. Actually, how do you introduce yourself, Jennifer? Like, how do you introduce yourself at parties? Because <laughs> you do a bunch of really um, cool stuff. Thank you. I've been calling myself a comic scholar. Okay. There you go. And the book, of course, uh, she just put out is Forgotten All-Star, a biography of Gardner Fox. Basically, what you put in the uh, very beginning of the book is really fascinating because Gardner Fox was a devout Catholic who was a lawyer who spent his nights avenging and fighting wrongs in his comics. Like, how did this (laughs) dude not come up with, like, Daredevil? Um, well, I mean, he he had a lot of other voices that he could tell those stories through. I mean, Sandman was one, Batman mm-hmm. was one. Really, any anybody that really puts justice as their their main focus, you could say, is, is some kind of a callback to Fox. Mm-hmm. And so, you've been doing a number of uh, podcasts and some press for the book. Are you surprised at the interest and the number of uh, Gardner Fox fans that are out there? I have been surprised at how many Gardner Fox fans have come out of the woodwork. I <laughs> even had one comic shop that that call that reached out to me via Facebook because they were called Two Earth, and they were like, "We we want you." I'm like, "Oh, perfect." <laughs> um, but I I knew that the fans would be receptive because I think a lot of people were waiting for him to have his day in the sun. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, like, there's a bit of an evolution in terms of how we talk about, like, the old-timers like Fox versus, like, the new people. Like, nowadays we talk about, like, Jeff Johns' run on Flash or Scott Snyder's run on Batman. Whereas with the old-timers like uh, Fox, we just kind of just do, like, their work on DC. Like, this big lump, like Jack Kirby's Marvel work. It's this big lump, and it's sometimes hard to quantify or put into some meaningful context what their contributions really are. That's true, especially the old school writers and, and artists, because they just did so much. They worked for so long. We have much shorter runs, I think, on people now because there's uh, there's a lot of reasons, I think, for that. But I do think that careers lasted a lot longer. People were assigned to characters for a lot longer than. Yeah, and so the title of the book is Forgotten All-Star. All-Star, of course, is like... Uh, a play on words for uh, Fox's legacy, but forgotten, kind of what you're saying about the old-timers, right? Forgotten suggests that he's either been overlooked or unrecognized, and that's what I was asking you about, like some of the the Fox fans, if they've come out of the word work. Can you just elaborate a little bit on how you feel that he's been kind of either overlooked or kind of unrecognized over the years? Well, I mean, we were just talking about his contributions to Batman, but Mm -hmm. he's also co-creator of The Flash, Satana, Dr. Fate, 
um, a, a plethora of characters. Hawkman is another really big one. I mean, the dude wrote over 4,000 comic book <laughs> stories by 1980. Yeah, something's got to be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of things were good. Yeah. I mean, Flash of Two, of two Earths, who's got, he was the first one to write the first crisis. He, I mean, a lot of the major, major stepping stones. He was even at the helm for the first oh, ape on a cover for <laughs> for DC. Like he, he was there at the center of so much, and yet his name isn't at the forefront in the way that a lot of of comic creators at the time have have become over the years. Yeah, you have a really great line in the introduction where you say, "DC still does not promote their own history in the way that companies like Marvel will do, and when they do." the artists and the editors tend to get more attention than the writers. And we've seen that with somebody like Stan Lee, who just naturally had a very big personality and was able to market Marvel, but also has kind of been a lot more memorable, where somebody like Steve Ditko, who was a little bit more introverted, uh, didn't have that same personality. He kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. And, and that, I think, is a big part of, of why we don't get a lot of, of Gardner Fox, at least in the later years, you know, he would go to conventions, but he was a little awkward about fame and things like that. Like people come knock on his door and he would be eager to, to talk to them. But like, he, he was also bashful. He didn't put himself out there the way that, you know, a Stanley, for instance. Mm-hmm. Does. You think like the fact that he was coming out of the Catholic church and he was also coming out of being a lawyer, which has, of course, mm-hmm. Uh, all those dusty books filled with like records and different laws and stuff like that. Do you think that either the Catholic Church or being a lawyer kind of helped or shaped his how he viewed legacy? Because being a lawyer and the church are like two huge institutions. Like they've been around forever, constantly evolving, much like comics. I'm not sure I, I quite understand your question. When you were researching him, do you think he ever kind of uh, realized like? that he was contributing something that might have a legacy because like I said, he's coming out of the Catholic church and out of a lawyer being a lawyer. Mm. So he's already used to seeing things that just like people will make a law or something and it could last forever. Catholic church, same thing. And so it's like, he's kind of already conditioned to see legacy. So that's what I was wondering if like those institutions influenced him and how he viewed his contributions. I think that there was some of that at play, um, especially his conversations with Jerry Bales, where he was flat out told by fans that they their moral upbringing was influenced by his work. Mm-hmm. And he certainly put in a lot of effort to encourage people to go into the industry if that's what they wanted to do. He would provide feedback on story ideas that they would pitch. Um, he had a whole relationship with this one woman who was obsessed with uh, Black Canary, for instance. Um, and, and so I do think that he saw a bit of a legacy of that. I'm not sure how much of his idea of legacy came from the church or the law, but mm-hmm. one of the things that um, we now he can be described of or uh, as is the patron saint of comic fandom and alter ego. That's one of the ways that uh, Ray Thomas describes him. Yeah, and I mean, that's an interesting thing, too, because like we were just saying with uh, Stan Lee, like, Fox was a little shy with fans, but at the same time, he was very open and willing to, like, communicate with them. I think you even mm-hmm. had a story of, like, he sold some of his own comics to a major fan. He did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is crazy. 
when you think about it now, right? Like to write like I don't know, like Tom King or something. I'm like, I miss a couple issues of Batman. Can you just throw them in the mail for me and then like <laughs> t- take care of it for me? Yeah, I can't imagine that. But but I mean, some of that too is the accessibility. Um, the the letters columns. It's like people used to print full addresses mm-hmm. in the letters columns. So it was it was just a different world. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is this book? Is it for like? comic book historians or is this something that all comic book nerds should be into i mean ideally i think that it could be for any comic book nerd i wrote it with an academic tilt because i believe that that's what he would have wanted his his biography to be like but the accessibility that i built into it from a academic standpoint making each chapter stand on its own I think also makes it more digestible and easier for casual readers. Even if you don't know a lot about comics, I walk you through mm-hmm. all of the, the little intricacies. So I tried to make it as accessible as possible. That's cool. And in terms of like uh, accessible as possible, like you mentioned uh, being a mom in one of the emails and one of the mm-hmm. best jobs that a mom has is like you're a pop culture curator. And you, you try and figure out what to give to the kids at certain times and what to pass on to them, like uh, when you start to see Star Wars and things like that. Was there anybody in your life that was a pop culture or comic book curator? Oh, my grandmother, 100%. She was a big fan of comic books. Garfield was her favorite. She had a massive Garfield collection. I remember seeing all of her stuffies along the wall, and she had the Garfield phone and all the comics. And so I, I very much got some of that from her. And she would also, uh, if we're talking pop culture and not just comics, she was the one who made sure that I had my Ninja Turtles on VHS. She would record them for me because we didn't have, you know, electricity or access to the <laughs> television because we lived out in the journeys. Mm-hmm. And so she knew that I would want those cartoons. She would record them for me so that I could take them home and watch them when we ran the generator. You like you just mentioned you lived in the booties then. So then, what 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 was your first kind of interaction with the fandom then? When you start to see that there's other people like you, that other people are just as weird and like Ninja Turtles like you. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, my family was the safe haven there. Um, my my, I remember my mom trying to to bomb me over comics, talking about how much she liked Green Lantern, even though she didn't really read a lot of comics. Um, but my my stepdad was into alternative comics, and so was my my biological father. Like, I had comics all around me. Um, I actually was one of those kids who got bullied a lot. I I had Ninja Turtle shoes when I went to school. (laughs) And, no, like, a a little girl wearing boy shoes, Mm -hmm. actually. Oh, that's a twofer. Because that's a girl and a a nerd, right? So Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. And it took me a long time to – I received a lot of – well, blatant sexism, especially when I got into Magic the Gathering. Like, I was the only girl going to the tournaments, and every single time they would treat me like I didn't belong there. If I won, I got lucky. If I lost, that was just proof that I shouldn't be there. I didn't find a strong, like, positive, geeky community until maybe high school, where I had a couple of friends who played video games, and I found a, an entry point there. But it it was not as as lovely as I would have hoped in my <laughs> early years. <laughs> That's a, unfortunately a, a classic stereotype, though. I mean, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, nerds, yeah. Ner- yeah. nerds were not always embraced. Now it's uh, now it's a lot more easier, especially with the Marvel movies succeeding so well uh, to kind oh, of yeah. to yeah, talk about is. these things. But at the time, yeah. 
But also growing up, you had a hobby too that was very similar to what Fox did, which was very like you like to do a lot of scrapbooking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would put a lot of information in there, but you would put in like, <laughs> what were you putting in your scrapbooking? Because you just recently wrote a blog about this. I did. A lot of my scrapbooking was how tos. I was uh, interested in you know like making my own lip gloss and. <laughs> And things like that. Um, but also, I was kind of tracking different things that that were interesting, different stories. Like when I first started studying scrapbooks and the way in which people used them to basically curate the media around them. Like it's basically like the way that we follow stories online now, only through magazines, only you keep the stories because you can't find those mm-hmm. old newspapers again. And so it's a way to follow and understand what's happening around you. And growing up in the boonies and having such limited little glimpses at the society around me, I found turning to magazines a way to kind of figure things out. And so a lot of it was with pop culture type stuff like uh i saved a piece that was about more realistic butterfly clips that were like weird insectoid dragonflies <laughs> and, and, like it was one of those like where are the the parts of culture that i can identify and into that are still like acceptable pop culture mm-hmm. things <laughs> a lot of this is i didn't have a lot of friends <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I saved a lot of, of things. A lot of uh, fitness stuff. I was surprised at how much, like, you know, get buff like Buffy type stuff that I found. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I guess that's um, also from the Turtles, then, too, right? You got to be ready for a fight any time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I had to with my cousins who were older than me. I had all male cousins. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had to, to prove myself. <laughs> <laughs> a hero's journey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in terms of the, the bring up the scrapbooking and also like the pop culture curation from your grandmother, even when you're kids, for example, right? Like Fox obviously started like before Superman got published. Like he was working on like Bill Finger Batman, like way at the beginning there. Yeah. So how like for your kids, for example, like how do you balance like the past with the present? Because even kids today born like they might just sit through some of the Marvel movies, but they got to they don't have to, but they should really go back and kind of go back and see some of the comics and some of the curators and all that kind of stuff from those eras, from the older eras. I absolutely agree. In fact, my my youngest son really loves Golden Age Wonder Woman. Like, he <laughs> just thinks she is the bee's knees, and I think it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> What's his fascination with that era of Wonder Woman? Just like her, the adventures or what? I I think that he enjoys the fantasticalness, mm-hmm. you know? Wonder Woman riding around on a giant kangaroo is pretty cool to a little <laughs> kid. Yeah. Um, but also, she she's just really nice to everybody. He likes the fact that she won't marry Steve Trevor, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, she just, she's very different and unique. Um and I, I don't know. He, he just, he really got into her for a while there. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if, if "fair" is the right word. I don't know what the right word is, but like, it's hard sometimes when you when we read these uh, like quote unquote old timey comics, uh, but we do it through a present lens because it's like like you used the example of like if we go back to Wonder Woman, she was still at that time 
uh, especially when Fox was writing, like very much tied to Bondage still. Uh, Batman used the gun a couple of times. There were things that we didn't, yeah. th- that are not core now to who the character are. And if a writer tried to do these things or use Batman used the gun or something, they would be in so much trouble now. That is true. Um, and the Bondage stuff, it's surprising how much goes over his head and how much, like, especially, like, Spanking comes up a lot, but spanking doesn't carry the same connotation if it's a little kid reading it because they don't have that mm-hmm. that toolkit, you know. And so I, I think he pretty much just glanced over that. It's not, I, I, he never thought anything odd enough to <laughs> yeah. ask me about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, we do talk about a lot of the because he, he recognizes what I do professionally. Like he's read the first. Superman and so we've talked about you know the way in which it was a counterpoint to capitalism and a lot of issues and so we talked about you know the fact that Wonder Woman is supposed to be seen as a love leader and that you know she's trying to teach men that you know some that women are capable of being both dominant and submissive in society and that she's trying to show men that that's a possibility for them as well so he he does have some lenses to work with. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting uh, as a choice in the uh, book, and I don't know if this is necessarily set up this way or not, but like there isn't a lot of contemporary criticism when Fox was writing. Was that just because there was a lack of comic book criticism going on? Because usually when you read a biography, it's like an Alfred Hitchcock biography, the, the writer will throw in a couple of quotes from like critics or people that didn't like a certain movie or whatever. But there isn't a lot of, I guess, people reviewing comics at that point. There wasn't. Um, especially in the golden age, the silver age, there's a little bit just in fan letters, you get critiques and things like that. And I, I did incorporate a little bit, mm-hmm. um, for instance, people saying that the flash was too silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I include his own criticism. He, he didn't like the silver age campy Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was willing to admit that. So there is some criticism that I incorporate, but I, I'm more or less, wanted to explore what it was that he was doing and why he was doing that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's really cool is you have a number of historical records, uh, like we already mentioned his scrapbook, his writing schedule, and things like that. But I guess he never really properly kept a journal, so you don't get a lot of internal monologue other than the letters that he would send to people. Yeah, unfortunately, we we didn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one of the things that's also really interesting is that he was a nerd, I guess, before there was even, like, really nerds. Is that how you... Absolutely. I I consider him a geek geek. He was into gaming and and comic books and sci-fi and fantasy and all the stuff that we see is stereotypically geeky now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because, like, Rod Serling, when he created Twilight Zone, uh, this was in 1959, he was really big into science fiction and stuff like this. And so when there would be episodes where there'd be like time travel or something, people would write into him and like, I don't understand what happened. Is that a real thing? Is that like, it's weird <laughs> now because we take time travel for, uh, for like, for gra- like, you know what I mean? It's not a thing for us anymore, but for people in yeah. 1959 and the sixties are like, Whoa, that's a weird, like I have to lie down now. <laughs> and so it's a, uh, it's funny that like, it almost doesn't seem like there's a chicken and egg with like nerd culture or science fiction culture. Like it just seems like it was something that's always kind of growing. It just didn't have the community necessarily. It took a while for the community to properly form and be a thing. Well, I mean, science fiction community was fairly established. In fact, they had fanzines and conventions and all that long Mm -hmm. before the comics community did. Um, But 
know. That's an interesting thing because, I mean, science fiction certainly did come before fandoms did. But I don't know if we can as as geeks, probably just science fiction fans. Yeah. I mean, they weren't wearing their turtle shoes at that, Ninja Turtle shoes at that point, right? So that took a little while mm-hmm. for it to come. And then you you mentioned Roy Thomas, and he called them uh, he called Fox the uh, the patron saint of fandom. Uh, how did Roy Thomas come into your life? Because he was very instrumental in the book. He was. So when I first started working on the book and realized just how little there was on him, I went to my my mentor advisor, uh, Ben Saunders, and he happened to have Roy Thomas's email and he said that, you know, he'd probably be receptive because he's, he respects, he, he, he described it as not quite doing the same kind of work as we do, mm-hmm. but working on comics from a scholarly perspective, nonetheless. And um, sure enough, Roy Thomas was very excited to hear that I was working on Gardner Fox and it almost immediately confessed to me that he had wished he had written a biography and was really encouraging and he did everything he could to, to help me. I, I was blown away. <laughs> that is really cool. He's another one too, that kind of gets overlooked and people don't fully understand his contribution. Uh, to what I he- agree 100%. He's, he's huge, both, both in the comics world and behind the scenes and in the fandom. Like he, he has made a huge impact on comics as we know it. And in terms of Fox and his work ethic, there's, there's, uh, I mean, you used the word stoic, I think, in the introduction, but it's just like, because we're celebrating all the uh, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing and all the work that NASA and all the engineers took to make that happen. And you, when you see the footage, they're all very stoic, very like somber, like they, they're so focused. And they understand the work mm-hmm. that they have to do. And Fox seemed the same way. Like his output was so much that it, was mm-hmm. that like, do you think that was like part of just who he was and his stoicism? Or was that just like he realized that he just had to put food on the table and then this is what it took to make that happen? I think he was very focused enough that you could almost see him as not being very nice sometimes when it came to that. Like he had a plan that he stuck to every day and he had to, he, he really, it was important to him to complete the amount of pages that he wanted to get done that day. It seems um, enough that he would put off and, and be annoyed with his wife during parties and things <laughs> like that. Um, Cause he, he really just, he wanted to work. And I think that that work ethic and that stoicism came from his father, who had, it, it seems, a very strong influence on him. Can you talk about his father a little bit? His father was actually a really cool dude, too. He needs another biography as well. I was really surprised at that, too. Um, I I wasn't expecting to have that that whole story pop up. But he was responsible for... Uh, having the uh he he, like essentially modernized long island he Mm -hmm. was responsible for putting the telephone lines up all across there and he i mean that was still fairly new technology at the time so now we we hear it and we're just like yeah telephones but like the fact that he was studying you know electrostatic disturbances and (laughs) things like that that was that was very cutting edge 
Um, and he put a lot of work into it and he stayed sharp through the years. Like I, I love the story about him going out and, and yelling at the guys working on the telephone poles in front of them because they were doing it wrong. And they <laughs> thought that he was just some crazy old man. But yeah. then he started bringing out all this jargon and they were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and like that was, he was well into his 80s at that point. Mm-hmm. So. And then full circle, then Fox's sister as well. She was also another remarkable individual. Yes, yes. Kay Fox, I have been so impressed with with the way in which her community is still supportive of her. When people found out that I was going to be talking about her in the book, the whole community, I got so many letters and emails talking about how nice she was and how supportive she was and how she made a huge impact on the Keene community, especially the Keene Public Library. They they named a wing after her, mm-hmm. even. And she, she did a lot of the same sort of humanitarian and historical preservation type work as her brother. Being surrounded by uh, like a sister like that, I know she, it took a while for her to grow up and become this like prominent librarian, but still, like you write in the book under scrutiny, like a number of the female characters that Fox did write about, like they still hold up. Like it's not like they were just a classic yeah. damsel in distress or those kind of like old timey uh, disposable things. Like they were characters that had like presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about his writing most is the even even if they do something silly and and stereotypically female they often like they they aren't seen as less than for it a caring about an appearance isn't seen as a bad thing being scared of what's happening around you isn't seen as a bad thing they're just humans and i i think that that counts for a lot mhm and he was able to like the different eras like we said like we already touched upon this like he was writing like working with bill finger batman like that's right at the beginning yeah and then to go yeah. to go to like what was it, about the 80s or so like yes. to see like that that's a huge pendulum swing in terms of comic book history were you shocked when you started researching the book were you just shocked or like startled at how like the length of that a career like that i i was like it was one of those i i thought that he had stopped writing comics in the silver age before i started working on the book to find out that he actually came back and was doing work for Eclipse. And like, it's one of those, like, that's such a journey to go from when creators' rights weren't even a thought all the way to, no, creators should own their own materials mm-hmm. concept. Like, that, it's, it really is the story of the comic industry itself. What you're writing about, like, the fact that there's, like, the Flash of Two Worlds and things like that, uh, the first use of Crisis, the Batman utility belt as much as he's building up the DC universe and fleshing it out and making it a real thing as an architect, one of the key architects, the industry itself that he's working for is also growing and figuring things out at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting parallel between the two. You don't have a lot of Mm -hmm. careers like that. It's true. Well, you don't have a lot of creators who worked for decades. (laughs) Yeah, That's true too. (laughs) More than you would think though, to Mm -hmm. be fair. So out of uh, Fox's contribution to comics, uh, I know that's a big uh, thing. What kind of stands out to you? Is there certain characters? Is there certain stories? Uh, what is it that stands out to you that he contributed to comics? I I would say the big ones would be giving Batman his battering, a.k.a. just the gadget. Um, Flash is huge. Bringing the multiverse is huge. Um, 
I, I would say putting morality at the center is something that he tried hard to do. Um, and I think that that carries through. And some of that was, you know, just DC policy. They really wanted to be the company that represented that. But in a lot of ways, Fox was the one that was forefronting that with his, his writing of the Justice Society of America and the Justice League of America. And speaking of right now, considering how popular the Avengers movies and everything else, he put he was the first one who put all the superheroes on a team. Mm-hmm. We have him to thank for the Avengers. He's the one who who put that baseline together. It's crazy when you think about it because it's just it seems like a simple thing. I'll just put a bunch of guys together and then that's kind of it. Like, and then it's like this huge like I'll go the Flash has another world or whatever and then he goes into it and then he comes back. You know what I mean? Like they seem like really simple <laughs> like innovations, <laughs> but you don't realize at the time. <laughs> That he didn't just drop like a pebble in the ocean, like it was a giant rock, and there's no, these ripple huge. effects. <laughs> yeah. And then even after he's doing this, he's like, "I still got deadlines. He's got to swap out the next issue, right?" So it's like, it's a weird thing because it's like it's almost like he doesn't have time to think or realize what he actually contributed to comics. Well, and to him, it wasn't even a big thing, especially bringing the multiverse. He's like, "Yeah, it's an old science fiction device. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it." Yeah. <laughs> You also have a really interesting quote too on page one fifty eight. He w- you mentioned Jerry Bales, um, super fan, and he was um, mm-hmm. they Jerry and uh, Fox were at the second ever comic book convention, and the quote mm-hmm. that's used is Fox reported that his main focus was often on the villain of the story. I know that when I sit down to do a story, usually I can kind of feel inspired by the villain. I mean, I try to project his personality into the story if I can, and that's also interesting too because it's like. Yeah, he created Hawkman and uh, Flash and stuff like that. But he also created like Psycho Pirate, uh, Royal Flush Gang, like mm-hmm. contribute like mm-hmm. some solid villains too. And I think sometimes too, when when it comes to legacies, we kind of just fo- focus on the good stuff. And I guess that's human nature. But it's like, yo, he created he created some good evil too, though. Like he contributed some good evil. He did. He did. And I I think that we have a lot to think for for him the love of riddler now he brought riddler into the silver age and that's really when riddler was at his top and it was because of fox's enjoyment of figuring out the puzzles and things like that it it just seems like he had a lot of fun with that and and especially bringing the riddler the ruse of the riddler and all of that that was the first the inspiration for the first episode of the Batman TV mm-hmm. show in the 60s. So even that is one of those things that, like, that's Fox, <laughs> the center <laughs> of everything, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, he really is like the son, almost, of, like, DC Comics in a weird way, where, like, a lot of it just kind of revolves around him or springs out of it, like, and is able yeah. to fuel a lot of it. It's really impressive. Yeah. Which is why I knew that writing the book, I was like, it, even even if it only goes to a few people, those few people are going to care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so like you said, 4,200 comics over the years, 160 novels. I, if somebody mm-hmm. wants to get started with Fox, like, is there something that you would recommend or suggest or they check out or, or they just give up because it's just too much? But I mean, it would it would depend on what you were interested in, and I, like I, that's hard. Um, it might be fun to just kind of sample from the different eras. Mm-hmm. So maybe reading some of his early Batman, and then skipping over to All Star. Um, maybe jumping into. 
Justice League or the Atom. That might be a good one because I haven't talked about, you know, an actual scientist yet. He loved his scientists. Adam Strange, yeah. Adam Strange would probably be the best Silver Age introduction for him. Yeah, there's a whole, and I would absolutely recommend reading some of his novels as well. Krillick, I think, is superior, but Kothar is instrumental in um, D&D as we know it. Uh, the idea of the Lich King, uh, the undead wizard that came from, from a Gardner Fox novel. Gygax was a fan, and so that, that's an interesting little, mm. if you care about D&D, that might be worth reading just for, for that sake. This must be like a really fun job where you get to part of it is just sitting around reading the comics and the novels. <laughs> it is. And it's it was I, I very much enjoyed certain days like going down to the archives and reading his comics. Like the first time I picked a, 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 you know, a comic that I knew was his. And it happened to be a Johnny Craig comic and I was like, Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I agree with you, Fox. He's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very fortunate to do those kinds of Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the archive in the in the university. How much, How large is it? Like, what's kind of like, is there all kinds of letters and stuff in there, or is there a way to quantify it? Uh, well, there is a way to quantify it. Um, the the way in which archives, um, I, I'm not exactly sure how many boxes there are off the top of my head. Let mm-hmm. me see if I can... Let's see. Um, 65 containers worth of materials. Wow. Um, so 65 boxes. And that's got fanzines. It's got fan letters. It's got comic books. It's got his scrapbook. It's got, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of, of everything. Um, and I tried to incorporate that kind of, of paperwork within the book because I really would like to see this book as being a first step i i hope that more people take champion this and do work on him because there's so much work to be done and so i tried to make it you know as much uh, enabling the reader to do that archival work with me you know how long did it take you to do all this four years um to be fair i was also getting my master's and a certificate in teaching and you know a single mother of two getting a job all of those things too but you know (laughs) (laughs) life i to be fair i i really i only had a handful of days off a year um so it, it really it was a lot of work but it was worth it is this inspired you to do another book after this, like on another creator or anything like that? Somebody else has also been kind of overlooked or kind of unrecognized? I have been thinking about, I mean, after Bill Shilley died, like I feel like a void opened up in front of us. Like he he really paved the way mm-hmm. for this kind of work. And I, like, I, I can only imagine how many biographies we now won't have. And I, I, I would like. I, I, it inspires me to to look further. And I have an idea. It's a little early to to say who, but I, I, I do think that there's a strong chance that I will continue doing this kind of work. That's cool. 
Are you hoping as well that prompts DC to do a better job and kind of keeping those those legacies alive and keeping some of those creators alive? I know like today's Batman Day, which is great for Batman, but <laughs> so many people put their time and soul into Batman. It's true, and I, I wish DC would. I really, I, I think that it's important. And while I can't, I don't have the clout to do anything to try to get it on DC's radar, I'm certainly trying in other locations. For instance, I'm in communication with the library that he researched in. I, you know, in communication with Kay Fox's, his sister's library. I'm talking with his school even um, because a lot of people, now that they can see what he's done, are starting to see that, you know, he should have that kind of credit. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do what I can where I can, and maybe word will spread enough that DC will look over. I don't know what that might mean, but I, mm-hmm. I really hope that, I really hope he gets a spotlight that he deserves. And where the inevitable question, where can people find uh, the book? You can find it on Amazon. All the Amazons, as far as I know. <laughs> There's a lot uh, of Amazons. It's, it's not. There are. <laughs> and where can people find you online to say, oh, this is a really cool book? I am at Jennifer DeRoss, and that's D-E-R-O-S-S on Twitter. And you can also read little tidbits. I plan on putting out a series of blogs covering materials that didn't quite make it into the book, almost always for pacing reasons, to be honest. But materials I wanted to talk about that just didn't quite fit um, on my blog. It's just Jennifer's comic blog on um, WordPress. And in terms of your writing outside of this book, are there certain topics or certain themes that you're kind of like interested in the next little while or kind of exploring or starting to write about? I've been doing a lot of work on transmedia, so the the way in which comics that are uh, related to the show. So, for instance, I wrote about the Buffy comics and the way in, and and queer studies. So, tracking Buffy as a queer product and a queer icon across the TV show and into the comics, where she actually has a lesbian experience that's that's codified as such. Um, and I, I did a similar piece of work for Orphan Black that will be coming out soonish. Um, so talking about the iconography of uh, MK's sheet mask and the way in which it allows the reader slash viewer to step behind. Um, and, and, and again, that's playing with... Um, different forms of recodification and reclamation. I I make an argument similar to the way in which um, queer has been reclaimed. So I'm I'm interested in the ways in which we express different things within different mediums and what that means. Don't you ever, or do you ever get tired of like not having necessarily an off switch where like, you're reading comics for this biography. You're watching TV shows for that work. Like, it's a weird thing when it's like pop culture. You know what I mean? Like, because you're always just <laughs> consuming things, and it's like it's almost like there's no off switch, like between what your work is and what your leisure is. Do you ever get tired of that? You know, I sometimes, but at the same time, when I notice something that like 
tickles that part of my brain, mm-hmm. it's really exciting. And I want to do it. And I get passionate about it. And so, and, and not all of pop culture does that for me. It's that those special things that just, they give me the good tickles. And, and I just, <laughs> I keep wanting to do it. <laughs> That's very much then kind of goes full circle back to the way you describe Fox in your biography. Because he had that same kind of intellectual like hunger and passion too with the scrapbooks and yeah. stuff like that. He wasn't clipping out things on lip gloss and how to be strong like Buffy, but he was still very much like very seeking knowledge and looking for that good tickle. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I did a lot of a lot of mental health stuff too. I was surprised I was really tracking um Silverchair there for a bit, um, and the way uh, like male expressions of anorexia. Um, I just thought like mental health stuff. Yeah, I was, I was very, I I, I was just interested. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess. Yeah, it is an extension of that. Yeah. Well, I guess now it seems like your scrapbook is still uh, ongoing and busy as you keep writing uh, different things and explore TV shows and hopefully another biography. Uh, So yeah, the, this one for now is called the forgotten all-star, a biography of Gardner Fox. And as you said, it's on all the Amazons. So thank you so much for taking the time and just kind of like uh, hanging out with me, but also just taking the time to write the book and put a spotlight on Fox because there was a a lot of stuff. I've seen the name and stuff like that, and I've read pieces of it, obviously, uh, but I never really clued in just like I said, like we were talking, like just how much he actually contributed. Um, And it's one of those things now where like it hopefully will give people language to be able to say like Fox did that. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. And on a day like that, Manda, it seems especially important. There we go. Thank you, Jennifer. That's it. I think we covered all the good stuff, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was Jennifer DeRoss. The book, Forgotten All-Star, a biography of Gardner Fox, is at all the uh, Amazons, as she said. Legacy is a curious thing. How people are remembered, how... People are institutionalized after they're gone. How people's works are contextualized and recognized. How they endure. Comics have been going for a decade with many significant creators, writers, artists, you name it. And it's it's mind-boggling how many people have contributed to make characters like Batman and Spider-Man and Superman make them come alive make them resonant, make them relevant. It's a fascinating book, Gardner Fox Biography, because you see a man who is dedicated to his work and to his craft and is willing to put the time and the energy into making it happen, and he ends up becoming one of the main architects of the DC universe. It's really super inspiring. If you want to write comics or want to contribute to this uh, powerful medium, this is a book worth picking up. As I said, it's Forgotten All-Star, a biography of Gardner Fox. Thank you, Jennifer DeRoss, for talking to me on Batman Day, which is pretty cool. Uh, I guess everybody should be doing interviews on Batman Day when it comes to nerds. My name is Sam Yunin. You can follow me on the Twitter and on the Facebook and on the Instagram, all of them, at my pal Sammy. I simplified your life. Thank you. <laughs>